Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield and in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Those are the first four verses of Psalm 144, which along with Psalm 13 are the psalms appointed for today, Saturday, August the 21st, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. We are finishing up our look at the life of David today in 2 Samuel 23, 1-7, and then also verses 13-17. to As we look at the last words of David, we're also looking at the life of Paul in Acts 25, verses 13-27, to and in the Gospel uh, of Mark, Chapter 13, 1 to 13. So that, that whole idea of the, the days of man uh, are like a passing shadow and man is like a breath. It's something that we need to remember. That we are um, sort of, in some ways, we are like Abel, which is his name in um, Hebrew is Hevel. And Hevel is the word that's used in the beginning of Ecclesiastes. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. It's, it's more like breath or smoke, but, it, but it's the kind of breath that you breathe when it's cold outside and it vanishes very quickly. You can see the cloud come up and it vanishes quickly. That's the word, Hevel. Hevel, Hevel, all is Hevel. And so it, it's, you know, Hevel didn't live long because his brother Cain killed him. And, and so we, we need to remember that our own mortality, I think we need to, and then we need to consciously, every single day, set about glorifying the Lord in the little time that we have to do so. And so that's the the reminder is always that, that we are just like smoke, and, and it's what we do on Ash Wednesday, right? Because I put ashes on your forehead and say, you know, to, uh, it's from dust you have come, and to dust you shall return. And... and that's important for us to remember that thing because it, it reminds us of his eternal nature. And so it, when we think of this, it's, it's this statement that David makes here, he also makes in Psalm 8, O Lord, what is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you remember him or think of him? And then say man is like a breath, his days like a passing shadow. And I think Paul was a guy who understood that. I think David was a guy who understood that as well. That the important thing was is that we glorify the Lord with all we have. That we remember that we are but dust, and to dust we shall return. And so it's, it's yes, this is who we are, but for you. Breathing the breath of life into us, ennobling us, making us your children. Your sons and daughters, so, that, so long as we believe in Jesus. So we bear the image of God, and we are to bear it to the world. It's sin that broke that, and therefore that they had to be clothed because they're no longer clothed in righteousness. They're, they had to be clothed with something else in order that the animals might still have fear of them as in the same way that we fear the Lord. It's a, it's a benevolent fear, but nonetheless, he is, he is the Lord, the creator of all things, all-powerful. You know, his omnipotence, his omniscience, all that stuff should comfort us as well as, as, as cause fear in our lives. It's both those things at the same time. We know that we are ever walking in his sight. And so when David is dying, what we're told here in this passage is these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, 
ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like a morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. So as long as the ruler is submitted to the will of God through the fear of God, as long as he understands that, that judgment is real and, and that there's a price to pay for sin, then, then he says, he don't, as long as that's true about a ruler, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. That's how important it is to have a ruler who is a believer and is truly submitted. It's been a long time in America since we've had such a thing. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made me with an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. He will not cause to prosper, will he not cause to prosper, all my help and my desire. But worthless men are like thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be taken by the hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they are utterly consumed with fire. It, it's, it's a powerful thing to, to remain in the fear of the Lord. It's an important thing. I, I have too many friends who, who believe so so much in grace that they have no room in their theology for the fear of God. And, and, the, and the fear of God is a wholesome thing. It, it, it doesn't mean that I fear judgment. It understands that I fear the judge. And I fear him with a reverent fear, knowing he's also a merciful judge who sent his son to judge us. Yet he still remains righteous. Mercy doesn't triumph over that so long as as we are in Jesus. But hell is hot and the stakes are high and time is short. As my old mentor Chuck Murphy used to say, and it's true, and that's that's the impetus for us preaching the gospel. And can you imagine what it would be like? I mean, people talk about, well, you just want a theocracy. And and, and the answer is, yeah, I kind of do. Because of the, the God, the theos, we're talking about. And that's the reason we're supposed to pray for his kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, is because he's a benevolent, loving God. And, and under his reign, things will be righteousness and there will be peace and there will be joy. Why wouldn't I want that? Why wouldn't I want that with all my heart? As I look around and see all the injustice in the world today, why would I not pray for that and want that to be established? Why wouldn't I want his kingdom to be established? That's exactly what David is laying out. Here, when he says, if you've got a ruler that fears the Lord, you have a wonderful place to live. And you have a wonderful ruler over you. And so we have anointed him King Jesus because he perfectly does it. He's without sin. Great a ruler as David was. His children were not disciplined. He was a man of war. And look at his sin with Bathsheba and what all the price for that was. So it's important that we retain the fear of the Lord before our eyes at all times because we're serving him and we want to serve him well. We want to serve him as well as we possibly can. In the gospel lesson today from Mark, um, he's walking along around the temple and the other buildings around the temple. And one of the disciples says, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And it is. It was the marvel of the world. It's the it's the desire of all Jews everywhere, I think. Well, not all probably, but you know, 99% of them, to rebuild the temple and to see it in all its splendor. And Jesus says, do you see these great buildings? 
there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. It's going to be destroyed. It's going to be taken down. It's going to be destroyed quickly, actually, within the lifetime of most of those who were present that day. It, it, it's going to be a sad moment, fellas. It's, it's not going to be good. These things don't last forever, is what he's saying. Even this temple is going to be thrown down soon. He's speaking prophetically here from knowledge. So then he goes to the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, and Peter and James and John come and ask him privately, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign that these things are about to be accomplished? We'd like to know ahead of time. So if you'll tell us when it'll happen and then tell us what'll happen before that so that we can know for certain that your word is true, we'd really appreciate that. Well, who wouldn't want to know that? Because you could you could see that the only reason that that would happen, there's only a couple of reasons, right? There's an earthquake or there's going to be an overthrow of the temple. And so they'd like to know what's going to happen in advance so they can get on out of Dodge before that stuff happens. So Jesus says to them, see that nobody leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I'm he. And they'll lead many astray. There'll be many false messiahs. And many, he says, will be led astray by these false messiahs. And when you hear wars and rumors of war, don't be alarmed. This must take place, but the end isn't yet. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes in various places. There'll be famines. And these are the, the beginnings of the, of the birth pangs. Well, there's been no time in history ever since Jesus said that, that these things weren't true. So what he's saying is, don't pay attention to all those things. These things are going to happen, but, but it's, the, it's the beginning of the upheaval. It's the beginning of the upheaval against God that's going to happen. It, this is just human nature and, and, the, and the thing that sin has brought into the world, all these things. He says, don't worry about all those things. Don't pay any attention to them. These are just the beginning of the birth pains. But, so don't worry about that. What you're just talking about, fellas, what you wanted me to tell you about, don't worry about those things. No, worry about this. Be on your guard. They're going to deliver you over to councils. You'll be beaten in the synagogues. You'll stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. So the council is the, the people that, that tried Jesus. They're also the people that attempt to try John and Peter after the healing of the man at the beautiful gate in Acts 4. And so he says, you're going to be dragged before councils. You're going to be beaten in the synagogues. You're going to stand before governors and kings, for my sake. So, so there's, you're going to be constantly persecuted at every single level. But the reason is you can bear witness before them. And that can mean two things, right? It could be, tell us your story. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He says, you're going to be dragged before them to bear witness. And, and that witness is about him. And the gospel, and at that time, do they know the gospel? must first be proclaimed to all nations. They don't know the gospel yet because they haven't seen the crucifixion or the resurrection. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, don't be anxious beforehand about what you're going to say. Don't sit and prepare and write out your testimony, but say whatever's given to you in that hour, for it's not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. So I got this taken care of. These are the things that you need to be aware of in advance, not, not the stuff that, about the temple. Be aware of these things. These are the things I want you to know. These are the really important things. Is the persecution you're going to have because of me. He says that whatever's going to give, be given to you will be given by the Holy Spirit. And then he's, he gives him an even horrible, more horrible warning. Brother will deliver brother over to death. His father, his child, and the children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one endures to the end will be saved. Perseverance is important. 
he says he said it's not important that you that you know the signs before the the destruction of the temple that that's not the important thing the important thing is this because that I mean he, all the things he lists wars and rumors of war uh nation against nation kingdom against kingdom earthquakes famines always 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 are they signs of the end yeah but but everything is a sign of the end at some level don't worry about that make it a personal thing guys the, the, the worst part of this for you is not going to be the destruction of the temple. It's going to be personal. And, and that's the way we need to approach those things as well. We need to concern ourselves a lot less with end times theology and, and all that. And we need to concern ourselves a lot more with, with how are you going to stand and give witness and bear testimony to Jesus. That's the important stuff. And so here we see that same thing in, in the book of the Acts. Uh, so Agrippa and Ber- the king and Bernice, the queen, arrive at Caesarea and greeted Festus. Remember, Festus has replaced Felix because the Jews demanded that Felix be replaced. And so, just as they had demanded that his predecessor be replaced. And so so now they come to Bernice and Agrippa. Well, they're, they were born Jewish. Their father, Herod, was a Jew because Bernice is not Agrippa's wife. It's his sister. There were a lot of rumors at the time about Bernice and Agrippa, though. There were a lot of rumors about their incestuous relationship. Much was made of that uh, in, in historical documents. And so this is weird and suspicious kind of I mean, Remember with Felix and Drusilla, who was the sister of Agrippa and Bernice. Remember that? Remember that, that he stole her away from her husband and, and then probably murdered that husband later, by the way. So as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there's a man left prisoner by Felix. He had been a prisoner for two years. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation. I told him it wasn't the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face, had a trial, opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So they came together here i made no delay but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought this is in caesarea when the accusers stood up they brought no charge in his case of such evils as i supposed i thought it was going to be a lot more than they they laid out rather they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain jesus who was dead whom paul asserted to be alive being at a loss how to investigate, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them, but he said no. He appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, so I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. And then Agrippa, the king, said to Festus, I'd like to hear the man myself. Okay, tomorrow I'll bring him in. So the next day, with great pomp, they come in, Bernice and Agrippa, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city, and at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Sort of like the court jester kind of a thing, right? And Festus says, King Agrippa and all who are present, you see this man with whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting, he ought not to live any longer, but I found he had done nothing deserving death. And he himself appealed to the emperor, so I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to, I don't even know what to say to the king, to the emperor. Therefore, I brought him before you all, and especially before you. King Agrippa, because he's a Jew at some level, I mean, not much, um, so that after we've examined him, I may have something to write. I mean, I, maybe you understand their law better than I do, and maybe if, since you understand it, maybe you could tell me what I should actually tell Caesar. 
where it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner to indicate what the charges are against him. So Paul has borne witness already before the council, before the tribune, before Felix, before Festus, and now he's coming to the king. And this is the king whose father was responsible for the death of John the Baptist because John the Baptist called him out on violations of the Jewish law in marrying his brother's wife. And so now he's already spoken to one of those children, Drusilla, whose husband is Felix, and now he comes to two more of those children, and he's going to bear witness. He's bearing witness to Jews here, but also to this man Festus, who is not a Jew. And so it's important that Paul stand there and allow the Holy Spirit to show him things, because that's what he did when he spoke before the council, remember? He saw something. He saw, oh, Pharisees, Sadducees. I'll pit them against one another. And so Paul then speaks to Felix in such a way before he and Drusilla, in such a way that he is speaking personally about convicting of sin, of righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, the reality of the coming judgment. Those things are the things we do need to be speaking of. That's the way we should preach. You know, people used to ask me all the time, why don't you ever preach about homosexuality? And I said, it's not a sin. It's not a sin that's prevalent among my congregation. That's preaching to the choir and dunking on, you know, a straw man. So there's no point in doing that. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't talk about other people's sins. He talked about the sins of the people he was talking to. And that's the thing we need to be aware of. The Holy Spirit needs to lead us to tell the truth about Jesus, to tell the truth about judgment, and tell the truth about sin, so that those who hear us can be convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit. I I can't be convicted of your sin. I can be convicted of it if we need to talk about it, but I can't be convicted of your sin because that's just dunking. There's nothing, there's nothing to that. So it's important that when we preach and when we, when we share the gospel with people, it's, it's shared in such a way that, that, it, that it relates to them, that the first work of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin and of righteousness. So if, if I'm going to convict of sin, then I have to know who I'm talking to. Because the important point is to convict of sin and of righteousness. And righteousness is Jesus. And so the gospel is spoken into a particular situation. But the message itself is always the same. Forgiveness and repent, uh, for repentance and the mercy of God and the love of God for eternal life. But that all has a bearing on the judgment to come. That it's real. But the way to escape that judgment is through the blood of Jesus Christ poured out on that cross.